Please remain standing in honor of God's Word. This morning we're going to look at John chapter 10, verses 1 through 10. John 10, 1 through 10. These are the words of Scripture. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the gatekeeper opens, the sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow. For they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of the strangers. This figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. So Jesus said again to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Father, we thank you for this passage of Scripture. And I want to pray that your word will go forth this morning with great power, with the Holy Spirit and deep conviction. May we have ears to hear. May we hear the voice of of our shepherd. May we respond. And Father, even now, I would ask that you would lead us out into lush green pastures so that our souls could be fed with your word. May there not be a famine in our land. And we pray these things confidently in the name of Jesus Christ, the good shepherd. Amen. You may be seated. If you have attended our church for any length of time, you know that I have um, let you know that there is one page in the Bible that is not inspired by the Holy Spirit, and that is the blank page that separates the Old Testament from the New Testament. And you know I don't like that page because it gives the impression that perhaps we have two different gods, two different ways of salvation, two different ways of morality, but that is not... The case. Now, in addition to the uninspired blank page, I have to let you know that there are other places in the Bible where we have different numbers that are not inspired by the Spirit of God. For example, in the text this morning, my Bible has a big number 10 beginning this passage, and then it has a little number 2, 3, 4, 5, 6. Um, We refer to these as chapter and verse divisions. And you need to know that these chapter and verse divisions are not inspired by the Holy Spirit. In fact, um, the present chapter and verse divisions that we have were not given to us until 1205 A.D. Now, obviously, these are helpful. Um, It's good to have chapter and verse divisions. Because what would you do if I said, now please turn to John 3.16. And you didn't have chapter and verse divisions. You, you would be totally lost. So they are very helpful. 
Nevertheless, we have to be careful because they can be unhelpful and they can actually be a hindrance. Noted Greek scholar A.T. Robertson has said, the first step in interpretation is to ignore the modern chapters and verses. He has many good reasons for making that statement, but let me point out just one that is relevant to our purposes this morning. As I said, um, at this point in my Bible, there is a big number 10, and also my Bible says, I am the good shepherd as a subheading in the Bible. That is not inspired by the Spirit as well. However, let me point out, um, it doesn't relate now, but in the Psalms, there are many subheadings as well. Those are inspired. So many of those that talk about a Psalm of David or give a little bit of context, those are part of inspired Scripture. Now, why am I pointing this out? Uh, because the big number 10 in your Bible, as well as in my Bible, can give the impression that John is completely done with the episode of the man born blind. He's completely done with him. And like a play, um, it can give the impression that the curtain has closed and now a scene change is taking place. And then we come to chapter 10 and it's like the curtain opens up again. And now we have a completely different unrelated episode. But that is not the case here. Sometimes that is the case, but sometimes that is not the case. And that is not the case here. And I'm emphasizing that because you need to realize that, yes, we're moving on to chapter 10, but chapter 10 is inextricably linked to chapter 9. Let me give you some evidence of that. Look at 940. It's a good thing we have chapter and verse divisions, right? Otherwise, you would have said, well, where are you? 940. Some of the Pharisees near him heard these things and said to him, Are we also blind? Jesus said to them, If you were blind, you would have no guilt. But now that you say, We see your guilt remains. Truly, truly, I say to you, well, who's the you? Who's he talking to? He is talking to the Pharisees. He is continuing on in his discussion with them. So, chapter 10, verse 1, is continuing right on with his discussion to the Pharisees. And also, this is a little technical, but the literary formula, truly, truly, never comes at the beginning of a discourse or a dialogue. It always comes in the middle of a dialogue. So that as well tells us that we're right in the middle of a dialogue. And not only those elements, but also what comes a little later in chapter 10, drop down to verse 19. There was again a division among the Jews because of these words. Many of them said, He has a demon and is insane. Why listen to him? Others said, These are not the words of one who was oppressed by a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? So John's reminding us that the blind man is still at the forefront. So what we have here technically is inclusio. And you say, what's that? Let me tell you real simple. Let me tell you so the kids can understand it. What we have here is a sandwich. Okay, I know the kids might not know inclusio, but they probably know sandwich. 
where you have a piece of bread here and you have a piece of bread here in the middle. Maybe you have some meat and you put that together. What we have is a sandwich here at the beginning. We have the episode of the blind man. At the end, we're reminded about the blind man. And in the middle, we have this dialogue which lets us know that this is all related. That's very important here. That's the context that we must have before us as we go on to chapter 10. Okay, now I want to look at the first ten verses, and here's the simple uh, division that I'm going to give you. Three points. In verses 1 through 5, we have the parable. I'm calling it the parable. That's Actually, it's a figure of speech, but we'll call it the parable. Then in verse 6, we have the confusion. And then actually, in verses 7 to 18, we have the explanation. Uh, we're just going to look at 7 through 10, which gives the explanation of the door. And then in two weeks, we'll come back and we'll give the explanation of the Good Shepherd. But that's the outline. So, first of all, the parable, verses 1 through 5. Let me read through that again quickly. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who climbs by the door or excuse me, who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him, the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes before them and the sheep follow him for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him for they do not know the voice of strangers. Now, to understand this parable, we have to put it in its historical and cultural backdrop. Um, in ancient Israel, there were basically two different sheep pens. Uh, one sheep pen was way out in the fields, and usually this was made of stone. Perhaps they just took the stones in the fields and piled them up, and maybe put some kind of mortar together. And the walls were fairly high in order to keep out ferocious animals. Ferocious animals like Lions and tigers and bears. Thank you. <laughs> and you would have you would have these walls, and and the door would be very narrow, just wide enough so the sheep could get in, and then the shepherd would lay in the doorway so the sheep couldn't get out and wild animals couldn't get by him. That was one kind of sheep pen. Another kind of sheep pen. Uh, it was more close to a town, perhaps. And this sheep pen was larger, and it was shared by two, three, four, or more shepherds. And it was large, of course, and they would just share this. And they would bring their sheep into this sheep pen at night, and their flocks would go in there, and all the flocks would go in there, and let's say two, three again, four flocks. And then they would hire a gatekeeper, uh, who would guard the door at night, and then the shepherds could go home to their family, sit down and have a nice meal, get a good night's sleep. And then the next morning they would come back to this large pen and they would call out their sheep. Now, how do you separate all this sheep? Imagine a hundred, maybe a couple hundred sheep in this huge pen. How are you going to separate all these different sheep? Well, we're told, thank you, Norbert, by the voice. 
Um, Eastern shepherds would have some kind of distinct call and they would let out this call, whatever it was, and their sheep would recognize this call and they would come running to the shepherd. Notice that in verse 3. The shepherd comes to him, the gatekeeper opens, the sheep hear his voice. So they let out some kind of call and they come running. And the voice here is very important. The word voice is mentioned three times in this passage. That is very important. Um, let, me, let me back up just a little bit. I got ahead of myself. Let me back up to verse 1. Uh, notice, first of all, how Jesus begins this little parable negatively. Truly, truly, I say to you Pharisees, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. Okay, so he doesn't come through the door of the gatekeeper. Where does he go? Maybe he climbs over the wall. Maybe he digs a hole under the wall and he comes to the sheep. But he's not one of the shepherds. Otherwise, he would just walk through the door, right? He would say, why, good morning, Mr. Gatekeeper. And the gatekeeper would say, good morning, Mr. Shepherd. And he would walk right in. Uh, so they are thieves and robbers. They're trying to get at the sheep from another way. Verse 2, but he who enters by the door is the shepherd. So Jesus is making a deliberate contrast here. So, so keep that in mind. Now, I mentioned that the shepherd calls the sheep because he has a distinct calling. And that's very important. Uh, studies have shown that that is specifically what the sheep recognize. Um, they've done different studies. Where they'll take the, the coat off of a shepherd and they'll put it on another shepherd. Maybe give that shepherd the staff of the other shepherd. Maybe even give the sheepdog over to another shepherd uh, to see if the sheep will follow that shepherd because he looks so much like this other shepherd and they will not follow because it's the voice. And they've learned it is specifically the voice that the sheep are following. Now, notice further in verse 2, uh, the sheep hear his voice and he calls his own sheep by name. So it's not just one call to all the sheep, but then he calls them by name. Fred, George, Roger, Jim Bob, no, I don't know. <laughs> calls him by name, but obviously that's emphasizing the fact that they have a very personal relationship. Uh, I think of the billboard uh, it was advertising for the bank and it said, we call account number 254-30 Harry. What, what were they trying to communicate? You're not just a number to us. You're, you're personal. And that's how it is with the shepherd. I, I was talking to a man uh, a couple weeks ago and he was talking about praying and how he had prayed in the past and how God answered answered his prayer in a very significant way. He said, but I don't, I don't pray too much now because God is so busy with all that's going on in the world. I don't want to bother him with one more thing. Kid you not. I said, God can handle it. 
trust me, God is not up in heaven going, I can't believe all that's going on in the world. We got another dictator over here resulting in anarchy. We got an earthquake over here. We got a tsunami over here. And look at what's going on in the United States. God is not wringing his hands going, what am I going to do? And now this guy wants something from me. God can handle it. And I was really trying to encourage him. God cares about you. I mean, how terrible. I really felt bad for the person to think that he was an inconvenience to God. One said, God cares about you. He is not too busy for you. He calls you by name. He cares about what you're going through. And that's what we have here. Something that is very personal taking place. And then verse 3 says, And he leads them out. The shepherd leads them out. And here's where you need to understand a distinction between Western shepherding on the one hand and Eastern shepherding on the other hand. Western shepherding, and you may have seen this in, in movies, but they'll have sheepdogs, and, and the sheepdogs will come behind the flock, and you know they'll kind of bark and run, and they'll kind of make the sheep go forward in front of them. That's not what it says here. Here it says the shepherd drives the flock, leads the flock. The exact opposite. The shepherd goes in front of the sheep and the sheep follow. The exact opposite. The shepherd leads the way and the sheep follow the shepherd. That's what we have taking place. And in verse 4, when he has brought out all his own, he goes before them and the sheep follow him for they know his voice. Again, the emphasis on the voice. They know His voice. Look at John ten sixteen. Jesus says, I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also and they will listen to my voice. And then drop down to verse 26. But you do not believe because you are not part of my flock. My sheep, on the other hand, hear my voice and I know them, and they follow me. The A. Carson mentions this. The assumption is that they are in some way his before he calls them. Huge theological implications here. In some way, they are already his sheep, so that when he calls them, they recognize his voice. And obviously, we're getting into um, election and other doctrines here. But notice how the voice is self-authenticating. That's interesting as well. The shepherd calls to the sheep and they know his voice. If we could talk to sheep, and I know that seems strange, but if Balaam can talk to his donkey, perhaps we could talk to sheep, and they would follow the shepherd. And you would say, well, why are you following that shepherd? And they would say, because that's my shepherd. And we would say, and if we could say to the sheep, well, how do you know that's your shepherd? Because he called me by name. And we will say, well, how, how do you know he's your shepherd? Well, I heard his voice and I just know that he's my shepherd. They, they just know. And notice that Jesus Christ has the obligation to call his sheep. He says, I must bring them also. He must bring in the other sheep and he will do it by personally calling his sheep by name and they will recognize his voice. 
They will just know that is the voice of my shepherd and they will follow Jesus Christ. Beautiful picture of salvation. Verse 5, contrast, a stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. Notice that the stranger actually frightens the sheep so that they flee, they run away. So we have the true shepherd who gathers the sheep because of his voice, and then the false shepherd who scatters the sheep because of his voice. But keep in mind, these are more than false shepherds. These are thieves and robbers. Jesus is very negative, and he began negative because he wanted to emphasize that. These strangers are thieves, robbers. They care nothing for the sheep. Now, that's the parable. In verse 6, we have the confusion. This figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was talking about. Now, why didn't the Pharisees understand what he was talking about? Is it because they said, well, we're Pharisees. You know, we went to seminary and we understand theology and the Bible, but we, we don't know anything about shepherding. We have no idea what you're talking about. No, that's not why. They understood shepherding was very common occupation. Uh, they understood what Jesus was talking about. What they did not understand was the cryptic hidden message contained within the parable. They knew that Jesus was telling this parable for a reason, and what they did not understand was the reason. So basically they're saying, now why are you telling this parable? What point are you trying to get across? And they had no idea what the point was, which in itself is very interesting. In Matthew 13, the disciples asked Jesus about parables. This is what we read in 13, 10 and following. Then the disciples came and said to Jesus, Why do you speak to them in parables? And he answered them, To you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been given. For to the one who has, more will be given, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken from him. This is why I speak to them in parables, because seeing they do not see, and hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. Jesus speaks in parables on purpose so that the disciples could understand the truth and embrace it. And at the same time, those outside the flock would not understand the truth. The truth would be hidden from him. Now, don't take that absolutely, okay? Because there were times when the disciples had no idea what the parable was. And they said, explain the parable to us. And Jesus did, by the way, you recall that many times in private, Jesus would tell them, this is what the parable means. And I don't mean to imply that the Pharisees never understood the, the parables as well because sometimes they would get mad at Jesus because they understood that he told this parable against them. And that is what we have taking place here. He is telling a parable not only about himself, but against them at the same time. Now we come to the explanation. And as I said, this has two parts. First, he explains what the door represents, and then he explains what the shepherd 
represents. But this morning, we're just going to look at what the door represents. Verse 7, truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. And then in verse 9, he says, I am the door. Twice he mentions another one of the I am statements. I am the door. Now, in verses 7 and 8, he is the door to the sheep. And in 9 and 10, he is the door for the sheep. First of all, he is the door to the sheep. In other words, he's the door that the shepherds must go through. I am the door of the sheep. So, if you want to get to the sheep, where do you have to go? Kids, where do you have to go? Through what? Through the door, right? This, this isn't very difficult. You have to go through the door and the gatekeeper will let all the true shepherds in. Verse 8, All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. Now, this is complicated. What does Jesus mean? All who are before me. He cannot mean the prophets who came before him. Perhaps he just means all who tried to come in during the night and tried to climb over the wall. All of them who came before me, they're thieves and robbers. The sheep do not listen to them. What is Jesus saying? If you do not come through me, the door, you don't have legitimate access to the sheep. Who are those who do not come to Jesus Christ? The Pharisees. The Pharisees are rejecting the voice of Christ. They are not believing in Christ. And because they do not come to Him, through Him, they have no legitimate access to the sheep. Therefore, the sheep will not listen to them. Like this blind man, this blind man will not listen to the Pharisees because, and notice Jesus' language, they are thieves. They are robbers. Strong language. It's not... It's not just that they're not the best teachers they could possibly be. They're thieves. They're robbers. Therefore, the sheep should not listen to them because they do not come to Jesus Christ. So he's saying only those who come to Christ, believe in Him, have legitimate access to the flock. And if they don't come to Christ, the sheep should not, the sheep will not listen to them. In verse 9, Jesus again says, I am the door, but there's a little difference taking place here. He says, for if anyone enters by me, and here he's talking about the sheep, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. So here he's talking about sheep. So he's talking about shepherds over here, legitimate shepherds. And now he's saying the sheep, this is what you have to do. Sheep, You have to come in through me. And when you come in through me, you'll be safe. You'll be protected. You'll be within the fold. You'll be surrounded by walls. I will guard the gates. And then you will go out into green pastures and you will be fed. You will be nourished. And note very carefully, this is all a symbol of salvation. He says, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved. And notice that Jesus says, I am what? The door, not a door. (laughs) 
We live in a pluralistic culture that likes many different doors, you know. This door leads to salvation. That door leads to salvation. No, Jesus says, I am the door. There is only one door. Jesus Christ is the door that leads to salvation. Muhammad is not a door. Confucius is not a door. Buddha is not a door. Name whatever religion, whatever religious leader you want. They are not a door. Jesus Christ is the one and only door that leads to salvation. And He's making that very clear. He is the only way. The Savior has come and He's saying, I am it. You don't come through Me. You will not be saved. And then in verse 10, He says, The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. Let me tell you how I used to interpret this because I didn't read this verse in light of the context. It's amazing how context can help. Uh, I used to take verse 10 when it says the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I thought Jesus was comparing himself to the devil. I thought this was a reference to Satan. Satan, the thief, comes only to steal killed and destroyed, but Jesus has come that we may have life. That's not the comparison that's being made here. The thief that comes to steal, kill, and destroy is the Pharisees who reject Jesus Christ. They are the thieves. They are the robbers. They are the ones who are just trying to fleece the flock. Now, one commentator made this observation, and this was a great observation He draws our attention to the exclusiveness and intolerance that attend all genuine revelation. When the true way is revealed, notice, it is impossible to be tolerant of the various false ways that can lead only to error and disaster. I think that is so helpful. Because once again, you know that we live in a culture that wants to say, Well, there is good in all the religions. There's some good in Islam, and there's some good in the New Age movement, and there's some good in Mormonism, and there's some good in the Jehovah's Witness, and there's some good, and just go right on down the list, and of course, there's some good in Christianity. If, okay, if Jesus Christ is the one and only door that leads to salvation by implication, if we can think clearly and logically for a moment, then all other ways that pretend to lead to salvation are not only slightly off base, they are damning. Do you see that? And you know that our culture hates that kind of Clear, logical thinking, but that is the implication. In John 14, 6, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. That's it, which means Jesus Christ is either telling the truth or He's lying, which means He is the only way to the Father or He is not the way to the Father. It cannot be both ways. 
Which means we might as well realize that as Christians, as soon as we say this, we're going to be seen as intolerant, elitist, whatever. And if people call you that, say, well, well, let me see if I understand what you mean by elitist for a moment. Because I'm saying Jesus Christ is the only way to salvation. Is it because of that that you think I'm being elitist? And if they say yes, then say, yes, I'm a unapologetically elitist. Absolutely, because I believe Jesus Christ was telling the truth, as opposed to you who believes Jesus Christ was a liar. That's the difference between you and I. I think Jesus Christ is a truth teller. You think Jesus Christ is a liar. And if you can make it that clear, and I know that's bold and that's blunt, I don't think you'd walk up to someone off the street and just start there. But if you can lovingly, gently, graciously talk to someone about them, maybe you can just lay out for them clearly, gently, not like I'm doing up here, but just gently, this is the truth, and just calmly say, you need to understand what I hold to, what I believe about Jesus Christ. And then tell them, by implication, this is what you believe about Jesus Christ. So really, what it comes down to is, I think Jesus Christ is telling the truth. You think Jesus Christ is lying. And it's either one way or the other. Either I'm right and you're wrong, or you're wrong and I'm right. But at least make it very clear that that's what the Bible is saying. Which means as Christians, we need to be very clear in our thinking, and we need to be ready to be called every name under the sun because they don't like this. But what's at stake? Life and death. Eternal life and eternal death. And let's remember, Jesus Christ came that we would have life and have it abundantly. And the blind man who can now see is standing right there, prima facie evidence that Jesus Christ does come to bring life And in the next chapter, we're going to see him bring life to a dead man. Jesus Christ brings life. Maybe I should just close with this. One of the things that would help our testimony about Jesus Christ is if we could live in such a way that people would see the abundant life in us. It'd be great if we could tell them about the abundant life that is found in Jesus Christ and that abundant life could be seen in our countenance and our love and our joy and the way we go about our lives. Which should help us to see that when we don't experience that kind of life, we are terrible testimonies to the Gospel. Actually, our faces lie about the Gospel. Which means that perhaps one of the best things we could do for our testimonies, maybe go home this afternoon, look in a mirror, think of all the blessings that we have because of Jesus Christ. Look in the mirror and smile. It's not that hard. (laughs) And, And maybe that smile, maybe that joy could be seen by unbelievers. And maybe just... Let's just dream for a moment. Maybe they might come up to us and say, why do you seem so happy? What, what is it about you? 
And we could say, let me tell you, I have a Savior who has come to bring life and bring it abundantly. Let's close in prayer. Father, we thank You for Jesus Christ. We thank You that we have been led in and out of pastures. Father, I pray that if any have not turned to Christ, they would see that He's their only hope of salvation. Father, I pray that they would experience life in all its fullness. And Father, for those of us who know Jesus Christ as our Lord and our Savior, Father, forgive us for not exuding life in all its fullness. Father, forgive us for our murmuring, complaining, and grumbling. And Father, help us to turn to Jesus every single day to do what George Mueller did to make His soul happy in Jesus so that then He could go out and joy minister to people and share the Gospel with people. Father, may we experience this life in all its fullness. May people see the life of Jesus Christ flowing in us and through us. It's in His name that we pray. Amen.